Welcome to the Word Encounter episode 235, where today we'll be picking things up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it says, Lawsuits Among Believers. Verse 1, if any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Good question. Interesting uh, thing in verse 3. It says, don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So Paul is saying, you don't understand. We're going to judge angels. Now, where does this come from? Well, in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 21, uh, the word says that conquerors will sit next to Jesus. See, and Jesus is responsible for judging the world. And, and, and part of that judgment are the fallen angels. See? And so Paul is trying to get them to become aware of uh, the magnitude of their responsibilities. You can, you can judge these trivial things. Don't you know we're going to judge things that are much, much, much greater? It says in verse 4, So if you have such matters, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? So Paul is saying, come on, come on. I know there are people here who are uh, capable of uh, objectively arbitrating between people. He says in verse 6, instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. <laughs> instead, brothers are going to court against brothers, and to our shame, it's before unbelievers of all people. Not only shouldn't the unbelieving be judging you, but it also is a bad witness. It's a bad example. Because the, the unbelieving world is saying they can't even settle things amongst themselves. They have to come to us. Verse 7, as it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? He said, not only that, but should it even come to this? Should we even have to have these things arbitrated? You know, it, it, that's already a sign of a defeat. You should be able to solve these things among yourself, you know, between the two, uh, the two principles. They shouldn't have to go to anybody else. Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, or thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. So Paul's making it plain, see? He's saying... <sighs> You should be able to, 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 to come to a resolution amongst yourselves with regard to any wrongs that may have been actually done or perceived to have been done. You know, but he says too many of you essentially are, are unrighteous. You're, you're, you're not doing things right anyway because there's sexual immorality going on. There's adultery going on. There's male prostitution going on. There's people stealing. They're greedy people. They're drunkards. They're people that are abusing people verbally and probably physically as well. People stealing from folks says, that's not going to do it. None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. 
glorifying God in body and spirit. It says in verse 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but not, uh, but I will not be mastered by anything. So Paul is saying that uh, under, you know, in, in, in grace and under, uh, under kingdom principles, you know, everything is permissible. He's not talking about, you know, overt, overtly sinful things. That's not what he's talking about. We've already talked about in previous episodes with regard to, um, some things that could be sin that aren't actually sinful uh, in, um, in nature, but depending on how you do them, depending on who you do them in front of, depending on how it's witnessed or whatever, it could be considered sin uh, if you're violating principle. And so we're going to get uh, into more of that pretty soon. But Paul is saying that all these things are open, but not everything is beneficial. Uh, not everything is beneficial. In other words, I could be exercising my freedoms and liberties, but in doing so, I could be harming somebody else. And so that's not beneficial. You see, and it's permissible, but it's not beneficial. And he's saying even things that I can do, you know, we can overdo anything like we might like sports. Right. And then so we could sit in front of the television, you know, uh, 20 hours a day and just consume sports. There's nothing wrong with liking sports. There's nothing wrong with watching sports. There's nothing wrong with participating in sports. But if you let it master you, if you let it overcome you, if you become a slave to it, then there's a problem. And Paul is saying, I will not be mastered by anything, even though. They are permissible, permissible. They're benign in nature, you know, and they're permissible. But if I let them have a stronghold uh, in my life such that it's now dictating to me what I do, then it's a problem. Verse uh, 13, food is for the stomach, stomach is for the food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he's making these analogies in order to get them to understand um, the role of their physical being in this kingdom thing. It says in verse 15, don't you know that your bodies are a part of God, uh, Christ's body? You should, uh, oh, so should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. So Paul is saying, look, your body is a temple. Your body is holy. And if you, if you have sexual relations with a prostitute, you are joining your body with something that is unholy. If Christ is a part of your body, if Christ is in you, then you are joining Christ with that unholiness. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. Verse 16, don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Again, trying to get them to see how valuable their physical body is. In verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. It's not just you. You house the Holy Spirit within you. See, it's not just you. You know, what you look or what you look at, what you, what you uh, indulge in, what you say or whatever, the Holy Spirit is in you. So if you join yourself in, in sexually uh, immoral practices, you know, you're uniting that holy seed in you with something else. That Paul is saying, no, 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 this cannot be. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Your body is not your own, for you are not your own because you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Amen. Chapter 7. Principles of marriage. Now, remember, in, Cor in Corinth, there's a lot of confusion 
about what marriage is, how it's to be conducted, uh, uh, how does what role does sex play in 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 our society and, and marriage and culture? They have all these questions. So Paul is now going to attempt to clarify these things. Chapter seven, verse one. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, uh, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So so they are. They are asking Paul about sexual relations. You know, is is it, some people thought all sex was evil. You know, it was all unrighteous, all evil. Other people, it was a part of uh, their their worship service, part of their expression of worship. You know, to their idols and and whatnot. So there's opinions all over the map with regard to this. So Paul is trying to address this. He says in verse two. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relationships uh, or sexual relations with her own husband. And so Paul is, 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 is essentially uh, uh, verifying that sex within the confines of marriage is a good thing. So Paul is saying, yes, husbands, have sex with your wives. Wives, have sex with your husbands, you know, but restricted to that. And it says in verse three, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise, and likewise, a wife to her, uh, to her husband. So, yes, you know, <clears throat> do not be selfish. Give of yourself to each other, meeting each other's needs. In verse four, a wife does not have the right over her own body. Uh Oh, but her husband does. I'm not a lot of people have a problem with that. However, it says in the next sentence, in the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. In other words, like I said before, don't withhold. You know, sex can be used as a weapon in a marriage. You know, I'm going to withhold this from you unless you do this, this and this. You know, you're not satisfying me in this area, so I'm going to withhold sex from you. You know, and Paul is saying essentially, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Mm-mm. And as a matter of fact, it says in verse 5, do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, likewise, or other, otherwise, not likewise, otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, what does this mean? Paul's saying, look, don't use sex as a weapon. Don't withhold it from one another, except if you want to enter into a fast of agreement over some issue. Let's say you want to fast and pray over some issue, um, and fasting is to withhold something that you desire, like food or something else. In this case, he's saying have a sex fast. Essentially, you know, don't indulge in sexual uh, uh, activities uh, while you fast and pray for whatever it is you're fasting and praying about. But after that time is over, then come back together. Otherwise. Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self, uh, uh, self-control. In other words, in, after that time is over, if you're not going to satisfy each other, then one or both may attempt to look for that satisfaction outside of the marriage. And see, and because you might lack self-control, Satan may tempt you and you may fall. So he's saying don't use sex in this manner. A word to the unmarried in verse eight. I say to the unmarried, to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. Now, Paul wasn't married and Paul was also celibate. It says, but if they do not have self-control, they should marry. If you can't control yourself, if your desires and fantasies get out of control, then you should marry. (laughs) 
since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. So Paul is saying, if you can't be like me, essentially, if you don't. Now, in some places, celibacy is called a gift, the gift of celibacy. And so if you if you cannot um, uh, refrain from sexual activity, if the desire is too strong, then it is better for you to marry than to not marry. Okay? Or I should say it's better for you to marry than to burn with that desire to have sex. Okay. So. Uh, then he goes on and he gives his opinion about married people and what they should be doing. Um, then he, he gets into an area, now he's talking about various situations in life and how should they be handled. Now, remember, as we're going through this, we have to remember the culture, the, the, the Corinth culture that everybody's living under. And so this Christian thing is very different than the cultures that they come from. And, not, and they have an amalgamated culture because you have all these people from different parts of the world coming together into this one area. And so there's confusion. And so Paul is trying to set things straight. You know, how they should be, what their lifestyle should be like, if you will. Okay, so let's go down to verse 20. It says, let each one of you uh, remain in the situation in which he was called. And so, Paul, this, this is important for today. So Paul is saying, look, whatever you were doing when you felt the call of the Lord, when you became saved, when you committed your life to Jesus, you say, then what should you do? So this is the question that he's answering. He says, let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. So you may be a slave in real life at that time. He said, if the, if the call of the Lord comes on your heart, you're free in the Lord. He says, likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. And so you essentially switch masters. We all switch masters, as a matter of fact, because you may not recognize or realize or acknowledge that you're the slave of some master, but you really are. See, and those masters are those idols that we have. It could be you're a slave to money. It could be you're a slave to relationships and love. It could be you're a slave to um, uh, uh, people pleasing. You know, you, we, I mean, we can be slaves to, to anything that we idolize. It says in verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. In other words, like if you're working a job and then uh, you commit yourself to Christ, a lot of people uh, might think, well, I need to quit my job and go on the mission field. I need to go to, to, to Brazil. I need to go to Ethiopia. I need to go to, you know, Estonia. I need to go somewhere uh, and, and, and preach the word and this, that, and other. I need to drop everything I'm doing. And just a lot of people think that way. You know, and Paul is saying, look, chill out, slow down, you know, stay with what you're doing. I mean, um, we're not talking about immoral or illegal things. Uh, or illegal things, like for instance, if you were a pimp or a prostitute, and then you come to meet the Lord, and you still you're still pimping or you're still prostituting. No, 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 no. You're gonna leave that immediately, you know. But in the in the everyday uh, doldrums of life, if you will, whatever you're doing, you know, stay with it. Uh, stay with it because unless you hear a clear word from the Lord, you know, a, and you know that you know that you know, unlike like a Paul type experience on the Damascus Road. Okay, he's saying, look, just stay what you're doing, and because wherever you are, you can start to minister God in that situation. 
wherever you are, you can start to minister the word of the Lord wherever you are. Um, and so Paul gives his opinion uh, in verse 25 uh, to unmarried people uh, based on the circumstances of, of Corinth in the day. And, uh, and a lot of it, to me, seems to be localized to that time period. And so um, I'm going to drop down here. Matter of fact, we're going to go on to chapter 8. And it says, um, food offered to idols. And so he says in verse 4, about eating food sacrificed to idols, then I know that an idol is nothing. I know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no one but God. See, there's but one God. And I know that idols are nothing in the world. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. So Paul is you know, stating what we would consider to be the obvious. Okay, And in verse 7, however, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up to now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. <clears throat> food will not bring us uh, close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better off if we do eat. Food is just a necessity. It doesn't make us evil or good. It doesn't defile us or make us righteous. In verse 9, be careful uh, that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. Now, we've seen this theme before, right? So he said, you have the right. When Paul says, you know, everything is, uh, is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And so in, in verse 9 here, when he says, but be careful that, it is, uh, that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak, he's, he's saying, be careful in exercising what you know to be true, because it could make somebody else stumble. So uh, you know that you can eat anything, and it's not going to defile you. But a new believer or a relatively weak believer, maybe who grew up strong in an idolatry or idolatrous culture or whatnot, uh, they see eating something offered to idols as, as total and complete defilement. Paul is saying, well, don't harm that, brother, by exercising what you know to be true, because you're going to be putting a stumbling block in his way. He says, for if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak uh, conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? In other words, if you as a strong believer, or if you are witnessed by a weak believer who has this issue with, with idol um, uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols, if he sees you eating that, then he might think, oh, nothing's wrong. But his conscience is still not clear of that belief. And so, and so he may start to eat meat sacrificed to idols, but in the back of his head, he's feeling condemned. The only reason he's doing it is because he witnessed you doing it, but he's not fully convinced. See? And so that's going to be a stumbling block to him. So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. See? Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. So Paul is saying, if my brother or sister is, is weak in this area, but I know I can do it, and therefore I do it, they witness me doing it, and, and because of them witnessing me doing it, they get confused, and, and they start, and they say, oh, I don't know if this is right or not. I don't know. 
and, and it just causes their faith to weaken. The word says that you are sinning against Christ when you do that, even though what you're doing is nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with eating this meat that you know has not been defiled by some idol or anything like that. But some of your other brothers and sisters may not see it that way. Paul's example as an apostle. My defense to those who examine me in this. So Paul is saying, you know, um, people might question him. Well, what do you do about it? You know, do you do you not do things that cause people to stumble? You know, so people might have the question, yeah, you're preaching this, but what do you do? He says, my defense to those who examine me in this, don't we have the right to eat and drink? He's talking about him and Barnabas. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? And so he's essentially saying when we travel, when we go on our trips, shouldn't, shouldn't we have the ability to have our wives with us, you know, like the other apostles do? And it says, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Now he's talking about working for a living. And he says, um, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Uh, or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? In other words, Paul is saying, who works and doesn't get paid for what they're doing? Who does that? But Paul is essentially saying, that's what we're doing. See, because we don't want that to be held against the gospel. He's, he's going to say that explicitly in a second. But he's pointing out, he's saying, we're doing all these, all these things. We, we have a right to receive payment for what we're doing, but we're not taking it. He says in verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. See, and, and, and so in, in that word, God is essentially saying, you know, do not starve an ox while he's working for you. Feed that ox so he keeps working. <laughs> is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sakes? Yes, it is written for our sake because he who plows ought to, ought to plow in hope. In other words, he who works, he who plows ought to plow and work, ought to work in the hope that they're going to get paid or in the knowledge that they're going to get paid. And he who threshes uh, should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, uh, don't we even more? He said, if others come along and get paid, we don't want, I'm the one that established this church, and uh, 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 myself and Barnabas and Apollos is the one that's watering it. He says, you know, you're paying others, we should be paid even more, shouldn't we? Paul's not asking for this. He's just propositioning this. He's just putting these questions out. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. And so in other words, they don't want anything to be placed in front of the gospel. They don't want to have anybody be able to hold anything against them. Like saying that the only reason you're doing this is so you can get paid. You know, the only reason you're saying these things is so that, you know, you'll get rich. Paul is, he's removing all excuses from everybody. So he doesn't want anybody to have a reason or anything to hold against him. <clears throat> It says, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. He says, so it's right for this to happen, but we're not doing that. For my part, I have used none of these rights. So Paul is saying, look, these are rights, but I'm not using them. 
nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. And he said, I'm not bringing these things to your attention so that you can rectify them, so that you can start paying me, even though you haven't been paying me. He says, that's not why I'm bringing this up. (laughs) He says, what then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. He says his reward is to preach the gospel because that's what he was called to do. Uh, he was called to do. He says elsewhere that even if I didn't want to, I, I could, I'm compelled to do it. I can't help it. He says, <clears throat> what then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. And by not getting paid, by not making use of my full rights, you see, it makes my gospel, in Paul's opinion, even more powerful. And that's why I exist. That's why I'm here. He says in verse 19, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. And he goes on to expand on that. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. So he's saying, look, I became like one under the law, even though I know I'm not imprisoned by the law, but I did so so that they would listen to me, so that I could win some of those. It says, to those who are without the law, to the Gentiles, like one without the law. So he became to Gentiles like a Gentile. You see, though I am not uh, without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. So I did this so that they would listen to me. See, and he says to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all people so that so that I may by every possible means save some. You not even save all. I become all things to all people so that by every possible means I might save a few. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Paul is saying essentially, look, this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm to uh, to do. And so I'm going to win. I'm going to give it everything I have. I'm not going to hold back anything. I'm in it to win it. You know, win what? Win my destiny. Win my fate. Win why? You know, when I stand before uh, the judgment seat of Christ and, 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 and knowing that I know that I know I've done everything uh, that I could do that was humanly possible within me in order to run this race to win it. Paul just doesn't want to run the race to be in the race. He wants to win it. He wants to be the best version of himself for why he was created. It says, so I do not run like, uh, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly. Instead, I discipline my body. You know, I exercise, I eat right, I do all this stuff. I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So after preaching the word, after doing what I'm compelled to do, I will be eligible to keep doing it because that's why I was created. I don't want to be disqualified from doing that which I was created for. So I'm going to give it everything I have. And I think that we should approach life in the same way. Whenever, when we know why we're here, when we know what our individual assignment is, when we know what we're to do in the kingdom of God, then we do it with everything that we have. 
We don't just want to participate in the race. We want to win our individual races. And with that, we are done for the day. And so, uh, you know, it's a simple thing. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The word says that you will be saved. It's a very, very easy concept to, to grasp and to comprehend. But one must fully believe. And that public confession must be sincere. You can't phony this because God knows. Stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should God grace us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.